So if you've got a Bible nearby, you'll need page 1040. It's uh, uh, around you on the, uh, in the things. It may come up on the screen. I don't know. It's Luke chapter 9, 51 to 62. I'm not going to read it uh, yet. Just welcome to you. If this is your first time here for a while or you've just come for, uh, say, for the first time, it's, uh, uh, I hope you kind of feel at home among us. Uh, we are as we are. We're Portswood Church and uh, the notice sheet explains lots of stuff and, and just uh, hope you just enjoy being here and have some coffee afterwards and time to share and so on. One of the things we do uh, every week is we seek to learn uh, about God from the Bible because the Bible we believe is God's word. It's how he speaks to us. Uh, and he, as we read it and understand it, so amazingly somehow by his Holy Spirit, the Lord draws near and teaches us. And so what we do every week, we read some of the Bible and then we see what we can learn from it about life and about living with Jesus, uh, about living those kind of lives in the different worlds where we find ourselves from Monday to Saturday, because uh, that's where it all counts, isn't it? And at the moment, we're looking into uh, Luke's gospel, one of the four gospels written by this man, this historian, Luke, who did a lot of research. He was in the, in the first generation of Christian believers. And he got hold of uh, what Jesus did and what Jesus said, and he wrote it up for those particularly who had never met Jesus, like us, actually. He was very close to the events, but as far as we know, Luke never met Jesus himself, although he certainly knew a lot of people who did and spent time researching very carefully. And today, we're in chapter 9, and we've had a couple of sessions in this part of the gospel, And we're going to carry on in this section of Luke's gospel until the new year, at least. Now, Luke's gospel divides into two great big chunks, part one and part two. And where we are today is the second half, part two. But before we get to it, I just want to remind ourselves and remind myself, it helped me just to kind of get it together in in my own head about where we've been in the last week or so, because we have been a bit all over the place. Sometimes we've been in St. Denny's Church and then we were back here and then we had a lot of power cuts last week and uh, a lot's going on. I thought it might help when students have been away and they're back or they're coming back or they may show up in about 20 minutes time, actually, thinking it's half past and and they're usually a bit late anyway. But but just so that you can get on, uh, get back into the groove, as it were, to remind ourselves of where we've been. And where we were a few weeks ago was with this big challenge that Jesus gave to his disciples. Who do people say I am, he said to them. And they told him, they gave them all the popular answers. And Jesus said, well, yeah, okay, I know what other people say about me. What do you think? And Peter answers on behalf of all of them and says, you're God's promised one. You're the Messiah. And Jesus accepts that. He doesn't deny it. In fact, he commends them for getting it. Key question to us. Some of us are maybe here because you want to find out about Jesus. Well, that question, who is he, is a really important question. And there's another one that follows on from it, which is what are we going to do about Jesus? What are we going to do with him? Because that's the question he goes right on to share with his disciples. And he tells them, as you, if you remember a few weeks ago, we thought that uh, he told them that if they want to follow him, he's going to have the central place in their lives. He's expecting them to follow him. He wants them to. And he expects to have that central place. And it sounds hard. It sounds really challenging. 
But as we were reminded, if Jesus is in our lives, in the central part of our lives, as it were, then, of course, he's there with us. He's here with those disciples by his Holy Spirit. He helps us to live his way. And we thought about that, how having Christ at the center of our lives is challenging. But because he's there with us, he helps us. And uh, that was in Luke nine twenty-five to 26. Because he goes on to say that if we have him in the central part of our lives now, then when this world is over, we're with him in a fantastic new future altogether. Then a week later, three of the disciples get to see Jesus, the glorious king that they believed him to be. They, he becomes all transformed and glorious in what we call the transfiguration. And there are these Old Testament prophets there talking to him. And then God speaks, this is my son, my chosen one. You listen to him. And then it's Jesus just there. So these disciples, they see who Jesus is. They believe it. They've experienced it, some of them. They actually saw him in all his glory. Now, how about living it? And last week, we saw that it's not easy to live it off the mountain, down uh, in the kind of situation they were in. They struggle. And as they struggle, they realize a few key things. They realize, first of all, that if Jesus is at the center, it means that we can only do what Jesus does when we do it with him. We can only do what Jesus does when we do it with him. Remember the story of the boy who had a demon last week? They tried to do it. He wasn't there. They just did what he did. Jesus tells them later, you should have prayed. You should have prayed and and then you'd have known that God's power released. And that's a really key lesson, isn't it? For them and to us. And then they have this argument about who is going to be the greatest. And then they have to realize, don't they, that Jesus at the center means living his way. Being the greatest doesn't cut it. He gives that example of the child. Jesus is where the weak people are. And in all of this, we're thinking what it means for us to have Jesus at the center of our own lives and the center of our church lives, because our church life, because that's one of our values. We want Jesus to be at the center. And we saw that what doing, doing what Jesus does with him is crucial. So prayer is crucial because that's how we release the power of God. That's how we do these things with Jesus. We're to be followers, not just people who believe the right stuff, but people who actively follow Jesus. And that's how Luke's first half ends. The disciples realizing who Jesus is, realizing that he's to be central in their lives. And one scholar calls part one of Luke the coming, because it starts off with Jesus coming into the world right from his birth and so on. And calling people to follow him. The second half that we're going to begin today, someone has called the going. Because it's all about, okay, if you're following him, says Jesus, you're following me, this is where I'm going. And that's where we are today. And in a way, this second part of Luke is all about the question, not about who Jesus is, but what did Jesus come to do? That's the other really key question. If you're trying to find out what Jesus is about, you need to know or begin to understand who he is and who he, what he came to do. And if we're following him as believers, we need to know the same thing. So let's look into these verses. Luke 9, verse 51. Uh, is it coming? Oh, yes, it's out there. Thanks, uh, Bill. As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven... 
Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. And when the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them and they went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So, what can we learn? Luke tells us that the focus here is on Jesus being taken up. Did you see that in verse 51? The time is approached for him to be taken up. Now, the NIV adds the words to heaven. It's kind of interpreting, and rightly so, what's in the original language. But the phrase is taken up. And it's a, a word that's used in the, the New Testament later on to not just refer to Jesus' death, but his resurrection and his ascension. It's about the cross, where Jesus taken up to heaven is the idea. It's about all the events of the cross, all the things that are going to happen when he dies, when he's raised from the dead, when the Holy Spirit, when he ascends and the Holy Spirit comes onto the church as a result. And all of this is going to happen in a place, Jerusalem. And at the time, they're not in Jerusalem. And Luke is saying, Jesus is beginning this journey to Jerusalem. So the whole of the rest of Luke's gospel has this end point in mind. What's going to happen at Jerusalem and then from Jerusalem? It's not actually an end point. In some ways, it's a new beginning point. But that's where the book of Acts starts. But it's, it, it's this kind of focus of Jesus' attention. It's what Jesus is set towards. It's the main thing for him. This phrase, it says in NIV, resolutely set out for Jerusalem. It's an idiom in the original language. It means he set his face like a flint. It was like, you know, if you've got your face set on something, it's almost like he wasn't going to be diverted from it. This was the main thing for Jesus. And that preoccupation goes on for the rest of the gospel. In one sense, the rest of Luke's gospel is all about this movement towards Jerusalem and towards the cross and the resurrection and all that Jesus is going to do. Now, you may read Luke's gospel and think, well, that's funny. It doesn't read like a road trip because sometimes he's in Samaria. That's in the middle of, like he is here in the middle of the country. And sometimes he's up north, which is in Galilee. And sometimes he's down south, which is in Jerusalem. If this is about one journey, well, how come... Well, the thing is, it's not written as a travelogue. It's not a detailed log of each place he went to in sequence. It's about Jesus' preoccupation with where he's heading to in God's purposes. I suppose if Barack Obama wrote a biography, he might entitle it something like, My Journey from Chicago State Building, or whatever it is he used to work, to the White House. And that would be like his journey. And he'd be doing all this kind of stuff on the way. And this is Luke's preoccupation. But on this journey, the disciples are with him. 
And what's going to happen in Jerusalem is the main thing. Not because it's Jerusalem itself, but because through these events, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, something, uh, God's salvation is going to come. And the disciples are part of it. They're on the road with him. But you know, they're not quite getting it yet. It's encouraging, isn't it? Doesn't it take you quite a long time to get things, to understand things? See, chapter 9, Jesus has been telling them he's going to suffer. In verse 22, he told them, right after they said, you're the Christ of God. He says, now, you know, the son of man's going to suffer. And he says, at the hands of the chief priests, the elders. Where do the chief priests hang out? In Jerusalem. Where are the elders of Israel? They're in Jerusalem. And then in the transfiguration, Moses and Elijah are talking to Jesus about something. Do you know what? And Luke tells us what they're talking about. They're talking about what he was going to accomplish in Jerusalem. And James and John and Peter, they heard that. And then as they're going wild, remember last week they were going wild about the healing of the, the demonized boy. Straight after that, Jesus says to them, look, listen to me. I'm going to be going to suffer. I'm going to, my life is going to be taken from me. But they haven't got it. It can take us quite a while, can't it? Isn't that an encouragement to you? It's an encouragement to me. Uh, yesterday I was feeling a bit low uh, because, uh, because I have a particular health issue. It's not a big issue. It's not a life-threatening issue. I've had it for six years, but I don't much enjoy it really. And I was feeling kind of a bit fed up. And I, I was uh, in the morning, I said to the Lord, I'm reading this book, and before I started prepping for today, uh, it's a book James, my son, lent me called God on Mute. It's a great book. I've not finished it yet, so better not kind of recommend it till I finish it, but so far it's brilliant anyway, uh, by Pete Gregg. It's a very helpful book. And I was feeling low. I was feeling, oh, Lord, I just fed up with this, this, this thing that I have, this arthritis. I have a form of arthritis. And, and I said, oh, you know, I was really... I said, Lord, just, just speak to me. I'm going to read the next chapter of that book. Speak to me through it. And I read the next chapter of the book. And, you know, it was amazing. It just spoke really to me. And one of the things that chapter in that book is all about is reminding. And he says it's so easy for us to forget this. That actually suffering is part of our walk as believers. That we don't, you know, that miracles are exceptional. They happen. Praise God, they do happen. God does intervene and heal. God does do things for us. God does help us with grace and everything. But the norm is for believers everywhere. The norm is for us to know God's help as we go through these things. And it was just happened to be that chapter I was reading and I just thought, well, you know, I know that. I know that stuff. I've probably said that to you many times, uh, some of you. <laughs> but there it was, and God spoke to me. Not suffering in some way is unusual, said the book, and God meets us there. See, as Lewis said, that all the great religions of the world were. He said, don't forget, they were practicing thousands of years. People were talking to God and looking to Him and trusting Him. Thousands of years before chloroform was invented. Before there were any anesthetics, any pain relief, any medication, any mental health services, any benefit systems, anything. And actually we look around the world and our brothers and sisters, that's the norm for them, many of them. What I'm trying to say that is I'd forgotten that. It's easy to forget. It takes a long time to get these things. And this is relevant for this passage because Jesus has told them before, if you follow me, take up your cross 
It's a cross that we take up. That's the road we're on. We're on Jesus on this road. Where's the road Jesus is going? He's going to Jerusalem. He's going to suffering. But he's also going to know God's power and God's purpose through suffering. And for Jesus, it's going to, what, his suffering is going to mean the salvation of the world and ultimately glory. But he's going through suffering. And as the disciples go with him in that direction, they're going to learn just what he has come to do. And how they're going to be touched by it. And then how they're going to be part of it. And you know, we can learn that, can't we, with them on that journey. So what's on this road? It's uh, fairly clear. It's not a particularly complicated passage. But verses 51 to 56 tell us that the road includes rejection. <laughs> Just to underline the fact that these disciples haven't quite got what Jesus has already told them four times. That he is going to suffer, that rejection is going to happen. Some of them go to a village, the next village he's coming, it's a Samaritan village. And probably the norm was, because there's the 12 disciples, plus a, probably a few others. That's a lot of people to find accommodation for. You know, and in, in, kind of in the East and other places, you know, if you go to uh, local villages and so on, if there's just a few of you, you'll often, you know, someone say, oh, stay with us. That's okay. You can, you know, hospitality is great. But, you know, when there's like, you know, 20 of you, that's a bit more tricky. So probably some disciples went ahead to see, can we stop in this village? And the, the Samaritans say, no, we don't want you here. We don't want you. We don't want Jesus. We don't want you either. They didn't like it because he was going to Jerusalem and they were Samaritans and Samaritans didn't appreciate Jews. So that's another story. But the thing is, they know rejection. So what do James and John do? Maybe they're thinking back to the transfiguration when they saw Elijah speaking to Jesus and with Moses. And Elijah was really good. One of the great things Elijah did was call down fire from heaven. Remember that story? And so they think, oh, Elijah, yeah, Jesus, he's the Lord. He's the Messiah. Okay, Jesus, they don't want you. Go on, let's call down fire from heaven and destroy that Samaritan village. They haven't got it yet, have they? Jesus rebukes them. No, says Jesus. It's not now the time. Now isn't the time for vengeance and judgment. So they move on. So what does this road for us mean? We will face rejection. And we don't bring retribution. That's how Jesus was going to be in Jerusalem. He was going to let them kill him. He could have done whatever he wanted and blown them all away. But he went through. How are we going to face rejection? Are we going to call for fire from heaven on the people that reject us? Yeah, you'll see in the next chapter that ultimately rejecting Jesus is very serious. And there will be consequences, but they're not consequences for us to deal with. And they're not consequences for now. They're for much later. It's in God's hands. So what does following Jesus look like on that road to Jerusalem? It includes rejection, but what does it mean to follow? Luke gives us a few accounts of people they meet on the road. There's three of them. They're all guys, and they come up, uh, and they talk to Jesus on the road, on the road to Jerusalem, on that road to suffering. Well, the first one, verse 57 to 58, he's very enthusiastic. He says, oh, God, I want to follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. And Jesus says, do you really know where I'm going? 
before you say, I'll follow you wherever you go, do you realize what's involved in that? He says, I haven't got anywhere to live. I've got no home. I've got nothing. Because I'm on this road with God in the purposes he has for me. And it involves doing without stuff. Do you really realize that? Jesus asked the man. Following me, says Jesus, you go with me, you go my way. So following firstly involves the pattern of Jesus' life. If we're going to be following him, we follow him in the pattern of his life. Now for some of, for, so for us, we follow someone who has nothing. And there may be times, even in our very rich Western world, where we feel like we have nothing. He was homeless. We've probably most of us got homes. But maybe there will be a place. We'll be in a place at times when we feel like we've got less than enough to really belong somewhere. Less than enough maybe of our health. Less than enough of our emotional kind of togetherness. We're maybe in a place at times where it seems that everyone else has an emotional home. But we don't. And why don't we? Because we're following the homeless one, Jesus. Maybe some of you, some of you face singleness. And it's not easy. Some of you students, maybe students are looking out thinking, what, what if I'm single? What if I face a life where I don't have someone to make my emotional home with? Because I'm following Jesus and I make certain decisions. Well, Jesus was single. That's all I'm going to say at the moment. Some of us who are married may be single again, may be bereaved, may be other things. We're feeling emotionally a bit kind of homeless. Jesus calls us to follow in the pattern of his life. And then someone else comes along and says to Jesus, okay, I'll follow you, but, but later. Just uh, let me wait until my family responsibilities are over. <laughs> He kind of says, let me go and de bury my dead. Now, obviously, it doesn't mean that there was a corpse back at home waiting for, you know, Lawrence's or whoever else they were going to use in those days to make the funeral arrangements. It's an idiom. You see, in, in that culture like today, again, if you're in the Muslim world um, or places like that, you, you have to bury your dead the same day, don't you, Meg? Yeah. Yeah, so in, in hot countries or in the east, and that, that the way is, you know, some, someone's dead, you get them in the ground, ASAP. So clearly this man wasn't saying, I've got a dead person at home, I need to just go and make the funeral arrangement. He's saying, look, Lord, I'll follow you, but look, first of all, I just need to fulfill all my family responsibilities. And Jesus' answer to him is pretty radical, isn't it? Jesus says, look, you follow me first. I come first. Uh, my, my calling on your life trumps everything else. It trumps the fact that you want to wait until all your relatives are dead or your father's dead. If you're going to follow me, you start right now. And the kingdom of God is in the first place. Later in Luke, he tells the disciples, seek God's kingdom first. And that's what Jesus tells this man. Following takes priority. So we follow in the pattern of Jesus following, of Jesus' life. The pattern here, secondly, is the priority he takes. And then along comes another man, very quickly, 61 to 62. And the man says, I will follow you, 
But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And again, he's saying, I just need to go and get everything sorted. And, and what Jesus responds to him, I mean, he's, it sounds quite harsh, but I don't think Jesus is saying, well, you can't follow me. He's saying, look, you need to get it right, get clear in your mind that if you're saying you're following me, then you're following me. And here it's about persistence, isn't it? We've had pattern, we've had priority, we've had persistence. Following means persistence. He uses the image that you'd have seen in, in, you know, if someone's plowing a field in that part of the world, especially when it's a bit rocky, um, you have an ox, well, I presume you have some kind of rope on the ox, some way of holding the ox or through the plow. Um, and, and you have one hand on the plow. So you've got your plow, you've got your ox, and you basically have to look forward and keep going if you're plowing the field. It's no good turning around because the ox is going that way and, and, and the thing is going every which way. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to start following me, then you need to keep going. Persistence. Now, you, you kind of say, well, what happened to these guys? Well, we don't know. Jesus is simply rightly pointing out what following him means. It means following him. It's not just saying, yeah, Lord, I want to be saved. Take me to heaven. That would be great. It's saying, no, it's beginning a life of following Jesus where he has priority. That doesn't mean we reject our families. Of course not. The New Testament says we've got to look after our families. But as we make decisions about our families, then he has priority. We keep going. And we follow the pattern. That doesn't mean we're going to not have any possessions. But it means that our possessions aren't the main thing. They don't rule our lives. We sit as loosely to those things as Jesus did. And maybe these guys came back later. Maybe one of them went back and said, okay, yeah, I'll go and say goodbye to my family. I'll go and, go and you know, especially when I wanted to go and say goodbye. And then he's got, you know, it would be better if he turned up with his rucksack or whatever, saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. I'm ready to go now. <laughs> I've said goodbye to my family. I've made a decision. I'm going to keep, keep going with you. So what about us then? Are we prepared to follow Jesus on the road he takes? The road to Jerusalem? The road to suffering? The road of the cross? And also the road of God's big purposes for the blessing of the nations. Because the cross is the gateway to God's blessing all peoples. Next week we're going to have a World Church Sunday. When Eddie Arthur from Wycliffe Bible Translation is going to be talking about the World Church. And the cross is the, the kind of the beginning of God's great program of salvation. Great movement of blessing across the world. We prepare to go that road with him with Jesus central in our lives. I want to finish with a poem. Have I got time for my poem? I think I have a look here. It's not my poem, by the way. Sorry. It's um, by Adrian Plass, a Christian writer, humorous writer. Um, it's, uh, you've, I think I've used it here before, so forgive me if you've heard it. Um, I also need to say it's written by a man, so it's kind of addressed in male language. So uh, women, hope you'll just bear with us in that as well. Um, you'll see why later, later on in the poem. It's called, When I Became a Christian. When I became a Christian, I said, Lord, now fill me in. Tell me what I'll suffer in this world of shame and sin. He said, your body may be, uh, sorry, he said, your body may be killed and left to rot and stink. Do you still want to follow me? I said, 
Amen. I think. I think, amen. Amen, I think. I think I say amen. I'm not completely sure. Can you just run through that again? You say my body may be killed and left to rot and stink. Well, yes, that sounds terrific, Lord. I say amen, I think. But Lord, there must be other ways to follow you, I said. I really would prefer to end up dying in my bed. Well, yes, he said, you could put up with sneers and scorn and spit. Do you still want to follow me? I said, amen, a bit. A bit, amen. Amen, a bit. A bit, I say, amen. I'm not entirely sure. Can we just run through that again? You say I could put up with sneers and also scorn and spit. Well, yes, I've made my mind up and I say, amen, a bit. Well, I sat back and thought a while, then tried a different ploy. Now, Lord, I said, the good book says that Christians live in joy. That's true, he said. You need the joy to bear the pain and sorrow. So do you want to follow me? I said, amen, tomorrow. (laughs) Tomorrow, Lord, I'll say it then. That's when I'll say amen. I need to get it clear. Can I just run through that again? You say that I will need the joy to bear the pain and sorrow. Well, yes. I think I've got it straight. I'll say amen tomorrow. He said, look, I'm not asking you to spend an hour with me, a quick salvation sandwich and a cup of sanctity. The cost is you, not half of you, but every single bit. Now tell me, will you follow me? I said, amen. I quit. (laughs) I'm very sorry, Lord. I said, I'd like to follow you. Well, I don't think religion is a manly thing to do. He said, forget religion then and think about my son and tell me if you're man enough to do what he has done. Are you man enough to see the need and man enough to go? Man enough to care for those whom no one wants to know? Man enough to say the thing that people hate to hear, to battle through Gethsemane in loneliness and fear? And listen, are you man enough To stand it at the end, the moment of betrayal by the kisses of a friend. Are you man enough to hold your tongue and man enough to cry when nails break your body? Are you man enough to die? Man enough to take the pain and wear it like a crown? Man enough to love the world and turn it upside down? Are you man enough to follow me? I ask you once again. I said, oh Lord, I'm frightened. But I also said, amen. Amen, 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 amen. I said, oh Lord, I'm frightened, but I also said, amen. What about us? Shall we pause and pray as the band come up? Lord, we want to be able to say amen to you. Lord, you put it in our heart to follow. We thank you that you promised to be with us because we're not alone in this journey. You're still taking it. The sufferings we go through are fellowship in your sufferings. Lord, may we really become followers and not people who just believe the right things. Help us as we follow you this week to give you glory in all that we do. For Jesus' sake, amen.